Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to A Little Wiser. This is your host, Kimmy Culp, and I am here with Erica Gerard. Have you changed your name, Erica? Are you still <laughs> Erica Gerard? I am and will always be Erica Gerard. She has been in a recreational vehicle traveling to national parks. She was married in a majestic, the middle of uh, what park? arches in utah at like what time in the morning oh my god it was so early it was like 6 30 in the morning it's it's a challenge you know getting ready uh to get married in an rv in your wedding dress at 6 30 in the morning and we couldn't turn the generator on so no coffee i mean it was rough it was rough but totally worth it and so and um Oni, her fiance now husband, was just waiting outside the RV standing for hours. In the cold. (laughs) I mean, if that is not love, what is? I truly, truly. So um, we're going to just totally switch topics now. (laughs) There's no graceful transition. There's no graceful transition for this. This is just going to be a little bit awkward back to back. Um, But I had to mention because I love you and I'm so happy for you. Thank you, Um, friend. I'm so happy I did that high-pitched voice for you. Um, (laughs) All right. So uh, here we are having this conversation with uh, new bride Erica and myself about last week's episode with Jennifer Thompson. Jennifer was in college and brutally attacked and raped in the middle of the night and survived. Um, And during that time, she sort of methodically, meticulously uh, tried to identify the man who was assaulting her. Um, So she escaped and with sort of complete confidence, I think, both within herself and affirmation from law enforcement who wanted to find the serial rapist, pointed to a man, created a sketch, and then picked him out of a lineup. His name was Ronald Cotton. Ten years later, she received a call that she had, in fact, identified the wrong man, and he had been sitting innocent in a penitentiary for over a decade. So it's a story about wrongful convictions. It's a story about a criminal justice system that systematically failed in this case. And it's a story of forgiveness and friendship. So we're fascinated by a lot of things, as we always are with our guest story. And so we're going to dive in deeper to a couple of different things. Um, Wrongful conviction, but also our memories and how the brain works, especially in moments of trauma and how that can lead to wrongful convictions and and lost lives. I'm just going to start off with what I found pretty fascinating about kind of fast facts around wrongful conviction. 
In Ronald Cotton, there was ultimately a DNA sample that confirmed that he, in fact, had nothing to do with the attack. And DNA exoneration really began to take place around 1989, 1990. And since then, there, um, and this is according to the Innocence Project, there's about 375 people who were in jail for crimes they did not commit. Mm. Of those wrongfully convicted, 60%, 225 of 375 are African-American. Yeah. So statistically, um, you know, sort of clearly skewed and a reflection of where we are in a country with race, which is, you know, so topical right now. The other thing that I think is is kind of fascinating about wrongful conviction, and then I want to dive into to Erica, you talking about how we get there with, with memory specifically, is that it goes well beyond the 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 lost lives, the time that these people spend in prison, but then re-entering into society. Yeah. Into a world where you have no skill set. Your life has been in living in a cell, um, regardless of your innocence. For decades, you've been accused of murder or rape. Um, and how little there is to support these people. I mean, it, it, it's kind of unbelievable. And then beyond that, the ripple effect, which Jennifer talks about so beautifully. Yes. And, and, and it's the, you know, she started a nonprofit, Healing Justice. So when you think about Jennifer's case and Ronald Cotton, she gets the phone call. Now, she said it wasn't only her. It was the jurors who sat there and sent a man to prison. It was Ronald Cotton's family. It was the prosecutors and the police who thought they had, in fact, put the right person away. The judge. So literally the dozens and then the hundreds of people, Ronald Cotton, you know, his mother, his father, all of these people... So it really was a story that was much bigger than Ron and Jennifer. And in every case of a wrongful conviction, to really think about, you know, I just, even when she said the jurors, I thought, can you imagine, you know, 20 years later getting a call and saying, you know, clearly you remember when you put that that man to death, mm. you were in fact wrong. Yeah, it's, it's uh, horrifying, the thought. The thought of it, yeah. So I think um, it's it's a fascinating and heartbreaking topic, but but let's talk about Erica. How we get there? How do we get to wrongful convictions? And where is the system broken? Oh yes, well it, it's it's broken in so many places. But let's first hone in on what happens to our memory in these scenarios, right? Because memory. The way it works is it doesn't record our experiences like a video camera. It, it, what it does is it creates stories based on those experiences. And sometimes the stories are very accurate. And sometimes the stories are completely fictional. But most often, they are a mixture of the two. And the thing that's so interesting is that they can change to suit the situation. So, you know, you also have confirmation bias, which can happen where you're getting clues from law enforcement that 
the direction you're going in is correct. And so you dig your heels in even deeper. So there are so many distortions and biases that happen unconsciously. I mean, this isn't something that most victims are even aware of, right? So without objective evidence like DNA, which is critical, I mean, it's really been the game changer when it comes to false convictions and and false identifications. Without that evidence, fact from fiction is almost indistinguishable. Yeah, it's, I mean, in in the case of Jennifer, I mean, her confidence that she, in fact, had it right. And talk, if you can, a little bit about sketches. And I thought that was fascinating about the process. And we've all seen these sketches, right? You've seen them when there's somebody on the loose. But how that comes to be and kind of what a flawed process it is. Right. And I was telling Oni this, too, about how when you – are imagining a face, right? You're imagining components of a face. You're imagining a mouth. You're imagining a nose. And so in Jennifer's case, she had hundreds of mouths to choose from. So how do you choose a mouth out of the hundreds of mouths that is an accurate depiction of your memory? So you think that you know the shape of his nose and the shape of his eyes. And and so you start to generate a sketch based upon these individual components. And so once the sketch is complete, you start to believe that the sketch is the person. And so now when you're looking at a lineup, you're looking to match the face to the sketch that you've just created, not your actual memory. And there's also the psychological component of the outside affirmation. And I know this. I've covered several murder trials um, back in my days of of being a journalist and, and sat through the process of these trials and the media frenzy surrounding them and the community frenzy, right? Because it's very clearly... Um, unsettling and scary for a community to feel that there is a serial rapist or a murderer living amongst them mm-hmm. and not being caught. And in this case, he actually brutally raped somebody within the actual rapist within hours of Jennifer's assault. So you have police prosecutors, media coverage and so the desire to solve it to get this person off the streets sure. is so overwhelming the need to blame to find someone at fault yeah cuz you can't sleep until that person you know is handcuffed and away from so that sort of clouds and and Jennifer even said driven by i will not let this happen to another woman i will find this man i will work with these prosecutors i will work with the police department who clearly were so motivated to um you know not for the for the right reasons too but also to stand in front of the podium and say we've got him you're safe he's off the streets so there's a whole psychological piece externally partnered with kind of how our how our memories work and and fail us perhaps to a certain extent in this instant mm-hmm. um that all sort of conspired together to 
let a rapist run loose and a innocent man to be sent to prison for life. What was also fascinating that I discovered in my research is the answer to the question, why does the myth persist that eyewitness testimony is reliable? And there are several reasons why we still believe that this is a, a good thing to continue to use. One is media and popular media and in literary depictions, um, you know, detectives like Sherlock Holmes, right? And and witnesses, they, they often possess these highly detailed and accurate memories. So we, we see that, uh, that they can describe with such, you know, accuracy or, or, or in just such great detail that it seems like it must be correct. And then also, we have this belief that in times of stress and when we're in great fear or in terror, that our memories sort of hone in on the event and that it's burned into our brains. But that's actually not the case. The truth is that being under great stress can actually inhibit memory formation. And it also continues to be constructed well after the event is over. And then lastly, the, what I found the most fascinating is that eyewitnesses are so confident. They're so confident and they're so sincere and they are very persuasive. They're not correct but they're persuasive. And so witnesses, they truly believe their version of the events, no matter how inaccurate they may be. Yeah. Do you have a sense of the solution? Yes. And what is interesting about some of the reforms that have taken place since really the the 90s, the early 90s, once DNA evidence started to exonerate so many people in the Clinton administration, um, there was a great push under then U.S. Attorney General Janet Reno to recommend changes to police identification procedures. But the problem with that is that most U.S. police agencies fall under local jurisdictions. So they're independent of state and federal agencies. So although our administrations can advise local police, they can't force them to undertake any changes. But regardless um, of that, 25 states have now enacted five key changes that are making a huge difference. And, and so this is really, we're talking about half of the, half of the states. Um, so we have a long way to go. But, um, but the, really the key to uh, getting rid of false identifications is is this double blind procedure. Are you familiar with the double blind lineup and what that is? No, I'm not. No. So a double blind lineup is where neither the person administering the lineup nor the eyewitness knows who the suspect is. Whereas previously, the person that was administering the lineup did know who the suspect is. And so when that happens, they have biased thinking. Right. Yeah. They're taking clues from the administrator, verbal and yeah. nonverbal cues to influence which suspect to pick. Yeah. So that's really okay. the key. I mean, some of the other keys are also telling the 
the victim or the witness that the perpetrator may not be in the lineup at all, that they actually may not even be there. And then composing the lineup of people that have some sort of resemblance to the suspect so that there aren't, so that the suspect doesn't stand out from the others. Um, Confidence statements are also a big part of it too. Like how, how sure are you? that this is the right yeah. person. And and a lot of times those things don't get recorded. So mm-hmm. it's important to record the entire process from start to finish. Well, it's, it really is heartbreaking to think of those, you know, close to 400 lives and, and how much time was lost and kids without their parents and parents without their children and, um, and 400 people, um, you know, in society, who had been guilty of heinous crimes, you know, walking free and often committing more heinous, brutal crimes in this case. And so I think Jennifer's call to action, and it should be ours as well, and Ronald Cotton's call to action, is that the next time you read that sort of people love these stories, right? Mm-hmm. And so she said, you know, in the New York Times piece, and we always need the bad guy and the good guy, and that she quickly became the bad guy. She was the one who ruined a man's life. Um, but she is a, a victim, and he is as well, right? And so what she said is the narrative becomes so just a single focus, right? You know, the woman who ruined his life and got it all wrong. Right, the woman who when put in, put away an innocent man. Yes. And that, that it's so, there's so many layers, you know, um, you know, the, the, the rapist who was on the streets and all of those victims and their victims' families were wronged and, you know, the, the jurors and, you know, just, you know, really to think of it in a more holistic, compassionate lens that I thought was great. So Erica, thank you from your you know, a honeymoon road trip for, as always, doing the research and bringing, um, I think, such a, you know, always informed and educated perspective to the conversation. And I'm going to let you do the quote unquote call to action and sign off because I think that you think my sign offs are subpar. (laughs) I do not. I do. You've said that. You've specifically said, I think you need to work on your sign off. Oh, damn. You're really calling me out here. Um, Well, I think that it's a really cool organization that Jennifer has started Healing Justice. So I encourage you all to check out Healing Justice. It's the only one of its kind that works with people who have experienced wrongful conviction. And give us a shout out and let us know what you think of these episodes. We love hearing from you. Um, Is there anything that you would like us to cover that we're not covering? Is there anything we're covering that you would like us to stop covering? Uh, please <laughs> let us know. You can give us a shout out at hello at allthewiserpodcast.com uh, or follow us or send me a DM on Instagram at allthewiserpodcast. All right. Wait, now I'm doing the sign I know. See how I you. kicked it back to you to do that? Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, and if you are listening in real time, do not forget to vote. Yes, get out the vote. And we can't wait to bring you more incredible stories in the weeks and months that follow. Bye, everyone. Bye. Take care.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.